0: Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you for the gift of music where we're able to worship you and it's great to gather in the name of the the risen, ascended Lord Jesus and we're grateful for the way you do work around the world and we're grateful for the way you have united us together in the body of Christ, brothers and sisters of all different kinds of backgrounds and uh, languages and uh, it's amazing to watch and see and we're grateful even for even being reminded this morning of our brothers and sisters who are there in Puna. And we pray for them as they seek to have an evangelistic outreach tonight. And uh, we pray for them that you might help them to trust you and not in themselves. And right now we pray that you would help us to not trust in ourselves, but to trust in you. Open our eyes now as we open your word so that we might understand, so that we might have hope, so that we might be encouraged by the work of your spirit in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Bible says in no uncertain terms that Jesus was not only raised, it says that he was raised for our justification. Jesus was raised for our justification. In other words, he was raised for our perfect standing before God. And that is an unrivaled declaration. Jesus was not only raised, he was raised for our perfect standing before God, for our justification. And we are going to focus on that this morning, the significance of that, because it is greatly significant. And to do that, I'll invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 4. We'll be looking at that statement from Romans chapter 4, verse 25, and if you're new to the Bible, you can find the page number in your bulletin to Romans chapter 4. Uh, no doubt it would be more meaningful for you if you joined us in this as we'll reflect upon this passage. And uh, as we explore this passage together, uh, we're going to be able to have our guided exploration with six questions. So there are going to be six questions that emphasize the significance of Jesus being raised for our justification. I think it might be helpful if we follow and seek to answer these six questions. Romans 4.25 where it says he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now before we go any further into that first question, maybe if I can just um, remind you of something. And that is, uh, oftentimes the Bible only speaks of Jesus' resurrection but it's assuming his perfect life and his perfect death. Uh, Oftentimes the Bible only speaks of his crucifixion, but it's assuming his perfect life and his perfect resurrection, and you get the idea. So uh, just remember when it's talking about he was raised for our justification, and that will be our focus today for obvious reasons. At other times, the Bible talks about his death being uh, the instrument of our justification. In fact, don't even take my word for it, just because I want us to handle the Scripture carefully, and I want you to see this. Look at Romans chapter 5, just over one page. Romans 5 will emphasize the death and justification, and I just want to make sure that we have this clear before we only talk about resurrection. Romans 5, 9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified, that's that justification word, by his blood, so that would be the shedding of his blood, that, that would be his death much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So just remember that Bible, biblical writers use these things interchangeably for our sake this morning, Paul's emphasizing resurrection. But do know that the resurrection alone is not the emphasis. It's assuming a perfect life of obedience to the law. Okay? It's assuming a perfect substitutionary death, assuming a perfect substitutionary resurrection, and he's particularly focusing on resurrection today. By the way, maybe one other thing. You hear the word, He was raised for our justification. You hear that word justification and it might be overwhelming. It's not a word we use all the time. It means to have a perfect standing before God. If you're justified before God, God has declared you perfectly righteous even if you're not. It's based upon the work of Christ and we're going to talk about that this morning. It's perhaps the most important word you'll ever hear. It's perhaps the most important word Ever uttered because it has everything to do with us and God. And so I'm glad we get to explore its riches and to hopefully be moved to worship God even more significantly, more authentically than we would have otherwise because we understand something of the profound and rich nature of what Jesus did when he was raised for our justification. With that said, question number one. What is the significance of this statement or this reality for the Father? What is the significance of this for the Father? Well, in a word, the significance is satisfied. The Father was satisfied with the work of the Son. If Jesus was raised for our justification for our righteous standing before God, then we can know, even based upon the the argument of Romans, we can know with certainty that the Father was satisfied with the work of the Son. That the Son, having lived a perfect life of obedience, the life that we don't live, we don't perfectly obey the law of God, having then voluntarily gone to Calvary to give Himself as a sacrifice, did it work or didn't it work? was the God was the Father pleased with what the son did or wasn't he pleased he was pleased we know he's pleased because he raised him from the dead okay i want you to see this in the text though that's just preview setup let's go ahead and see from romans 3 then we compare it with romans 4 and we see that there's a connection if you go back to romans chapter 3 you'll see that the Christ went to the cross to satisfy the wrath of God the just and fair punishment that we deserve from God. And we'll need to talk about that. And it actually was satisfactory. Look what it says in Romans 3.25. Whom God, verse 25, whom God, speaking about the Father, put forward or delivered over as a propitiation. That means atonement. That means satisfaction. That assumes that there's wrath, there's anger, there's judgment. And so the Father put forward the Son... As a propitiation or an atoning sacrifice by His blood. Oh, by the way, cross-referencing, Ephesians 5, 2 says that Jesus gave Himself up. So the Son is volunteering for this. It's not somehow that the Father makes the Son do this. But there is propitiation to be received by faith. And it says this was to show God's righteousness or to display God's righteousness. Because in the divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness, to display his righteousness. It's talking about the cross. At the present time, so that he, God the Father, might be just, as opposed to corrupt, or unrighteous, or unjust, or unfair, that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And there are a lot of big words there and a lot of huge realities that call for big words. But what is he saying? That the Father gave the Son to be the propitiation, to be the satisfaction, to be the atonement for those who have faith in His Son. Right? That's what he says. And then it was to display His righteousness. That the Father with the cross, is showing his righteousness. He's showing his fairness. He's showing that he indeed not only has laws, he upholds his laws, and he also upholds the punishment with lawbreakers. Because if this same God in Romans 3 says, if you sin, you'll die, back to Genesis as well, if there's going to be any forgiveness, if there's going to be any restoration, he still has to uphold his law. So this text says that he might be the just the righteous God who upholds His law, and a justifier, the one who declares rebels righteous, if they have faith in Jesus. Because the Father pours out His wrath on the Son, who volunteered for the job, by the way, to make propitiation, to make satisfaction. And you say, where is all of this going? Where all of this is going is, by having Jesus raised for our justification, is proof positive that the Father's wrath was indeed satisfied. Because if the Father wasn't pleased with the work of the Son, He never would have raised Him from the dead. And so put Romans 3 and Romans 4 together, and you see resurrection, you say, atonement really atoned. Propitiation really propitiated. Wrath truly and genuinely averted. And this causes us to worship. We say, we indeed have been reconciled to God and now we stand with a righteous standing even though we're not ourselves righteous, but because of the righteousness of Christ credited to us by faith, He declares us righteous. He justifies us. It's amazing. And it's really not complicated. It might sound complicated. You've got a fair, just God with rules. He has every right to have rules because he's the God who created everything. And fitting penalties. Like if you try to overthrow my government, it's cosmic treason. The penalty is death. Well, is God going to look at us and say, well, I just think I'll grade on a curve. I changed my mind. No. Then he wouldn't be just and the angels wouldn't worship him. He'd be corrupt. So what does he do? Out of His love and grace and mercy, He sends His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To display His justice on Calvary's cross where the Son absorbs the wrath that we deserve, the wrath of the Father, so that God can be both the just, not the corrupt one, but the just one, the fair one, the righteous one, and the justifier, the one who declares perfect even though we're not perfect, for the one who has what? Faith in Jesus. How do we know that we can sleep tonight not being paralyzed by utter debilitating fear because we're under the judgment of God because we deserve it? We can know that there's truly been propitiation. There's been satisfaction. And we can know that there's been satisfaction because He's been raised for our justification. It doesn't get any better. It really doesn't get any better than that. What does this mean for the Father? It means that the Father's just or fair wrath has been absorbed. Now, maybe I should have started with this, but you might think I'm speaking a different language because I am speaking a different language than pop culture. If you've been getting your Easter... uh, Cravings fed and met from pop culture from documentaries or whatever it might be by and large 99.9% may talk about Jesus may talk about resurrection talk about different theories this and that and the other thing but one thing they're not going to talk about because it's socially uh, just not nice is to talk about the judgment of God to talk about the wrath of God to talk about condemnation. I gotta tell you, if we don't talk about that, the resurrection doesn't make any sense. Oh sure, it might make us all kind of feel sort of sentimental or something. It doesn't make any sense. He was raised for our justification. Our justification is tied to God declaring us righteous. Well, wait a minute. Why do we need to be declared righteous? Because we're not righteous. And why does any of this matter? It matters because God is a just God who is, to quote the Bible, angry with sin every day. And so, sorry to burst your PBS bubble um, or Time Life or Newsweek or whatever it is. This is all a bunch of idiocy and a big waste of time if God is not righteous. But if He is, what we need is for Him to have His just wrath propitiated. And we know that it's been done. How? We know, at least in part, because He's been raised for our justification. It's magnificent. It's magnificent. By the way, Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. He feels anger with sin every day. So, when you you imagine the hands with the scars, as you imagine the hands with the scars and you think about those hands as we read about this morning in John 20, you think about the scars and you think, the Father's wrath has been satisfied. Raised for our justification. So good. Second question of significance well, What is the significance for Jesus? That's the significance for the Father as we know that His, his justice has been met. What about the significance for Jesus? Well, in a word, success. It worked. Jesus, Matthew 1, he came to save his people from their sins. That's his intent. That's what he came here for. That's why his name is Jesus. Or how about John chapter 2, where he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And you go on to read in John 2, he wasn't talking about the temple, he was talking about his body. If Jesus has been raised for our justification, it means he wasn't a religious whack job. It means he wasn't a charismatic preacher, eccentric, and only that. Because he said he was going to be raised three days after dying. If he's been raised for our justification, that means he did, in fact, do what he said he was going to do, which from the very beginning at his birth was going to be that he would save his people from their sins. That he would justify us so that we would be reconciled to God, so that we would have a right standing before him genuinely. That's what it means for Jesus Raised for our justification, mission accomplished, not a wishful thinker, not a good person who happens to lie a lot, go figure, because if he wasn't raised, he's not a good person, he's just a liar. Raised for our justification means Jesus really, really succeeded, and we worship him today. Number three, what is the significance for religion? What is the significance for religion? I want to make a positive comment and a negative comment. Positively, it shows that religion can be true. This shows that religion can be true. Now, just remember, sometimes we don't like the word religion, a lot of us, because we say, you know, our... Religion, can't even avoid the word. (laughs) Well, what I believe in is not religion. I believe in a relationship. I'm totally with you. I've said it a bazillion times. Because you're trying to avoid this kind of dead stand-up, sit-down, go team go kind of thing. uh, That is just religion. And and we're talking about a real relationship having been justified, reconciled to God. And that's a relationship. I'm totally with you. But just to be a little awkward for a moment. The word religion means relationship. the word religion means relationship with one's deity, okay? So, using it in the best sense of the term, it's proof that religion can be true, okay? In fact, using the word religion specifically, that our relationship with God that wasn't good before because no one who's ever been born has a good relationship with God other than God the Son, So we all have a bad relationship with God. We all have a relationship. We all have a bad relationship with God because we don't honor Him as God. And so therefore we deserve condemnation. Religion can be true because Jesus was raised for our justification, our right standing, our righteous standing before God, which therefore brings reconciliation. And so... I'm all for religion. At least this kind can be true. Put it negatively, religion can be false. And by Jesus being raised from the dead, you know what happens there? It just knocks the knees out from under every religion other than the one he founded. And it exposes every religion is somehow based upon corruption with a deity or deities that take bribes under the table. Because if you've got a holy deity with holy laws and we've violated those laws, we're we're in trouble unless the deity takes bribes. By Jesus absorbing the just penalty for our sins. God is the just. He's not corrupt. He doesn't take bribes. The just and the justifier. So his integrity is upheld of the one who has faith in Jesus. Not all religions are true. And if I'm in a religion, by the way, other than the religion started by Jesus, I need to make it my life's work and effort to try to undermine the authenticity of Jesus' resurrection. Because if he's really been raised from the dead, it exposes my religion as a fraudulent one, along with all the other ones who look just like it in different forms. And by the way, this is just for free. Just remember, it can't be one of many unless God is sinister beyond sinister, to give His one unique Son and to pour out His undiluted wrath on His unique Son when there are other ways. That would be sinister. Jesus Himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. That's what Jesus said. The resurrection shows that religion can be true. And also is it a major assault on all other religions. It's no wonder they killed him. Let's go on to another question. What is the significance historically? What is the significance historically? Maybe just a couple of points. It's central to history. The resurrection of Jesus is central to history because it is what everything was anticipating before starting way back in the early chapters of Genesis. We've got this, this promise of redemption. And all throughout the narrative and all throughout the different ins and outs historically, it's all anticipating. It's all growing, waiting, waiting, waiting for one who would be the greater David. For one who would fulfill the law. For one who would be our righteousness. And then Jesus comes and He fulfills the law. And Jesus comes and fulfilling the law even by giving Himself up. And Jesus comes and He rises again from the dead. His body will not undergo decay. Quoting the psalmist it's where it was all headed and we won't take the time to go there but even because of that being central right there in his work of life death and resurrection even history that is yet to be written somehow finds its significance back in what jesus did in his life death and resurrection we learned about this in romans 8 because of what he secured in his life death and resurrection. The future is sure. Our future is sure if we're depending upon Him, believing in Him. He's reconciling all things in Himself. This is Colossians as well. This is great. Central to history. Maybe another point historically would be that this is the most controversial point in all of history. Raised for our justification let's think about that one historically when it comes to controversy. That is a hot one. You want to be controversial? Know what that means and start talking about it and talking about its implications <laughs> the The biggest if you don't don't just be controversial to be controversial. Some of us like that. It's the most controversial thing on the planet because think about it. If he was raised, which assumes life and death, he was he, his work, how about this, for our justification, raised for our justification, you say, what's controversial about that? It's not controversial to me. I'm here to worship him because he was raised for my justification. For most of you, you don't find that controversial. I dare you to start talking about it more than you do. <laughs> Here's why. He was raised. Raised for our justification. Who did all the work? Therefore, who gets all the credit? He does. And any time you start messing with people's self-righteousness, you are controversial. And you start messing with the religions of the world. He was raised for our justification. Now, I love that. But it just gives a death blow to my self-righteousness. Because there's no such thing as self-righteousness. In a true biblical sense. I need Him to be raised for my righteousness. Even using the word justification. (sighs) See? But I've got to redeem myself. (laughs) I've got to justify myself which is what we do on the religious treadmill raised for our justification Oh, it's all him that's why we would say we believe in salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone raised for our justification there's nothing left to be done Therefore, he gets all the credit. Listen to this. For if Jesus' work is a justifying work, it is, the ba- it is the basis upon which sinners stand before God. Therefore, it is not based upon human performance. And if he was raised for our justification, then there is no self-justifying. Therefore, it is by faith and only by faith that a person is justified before God, for it is based upon the work of another, namely Jesus Romans 3.23 says this, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And remember, faith is nothing. Faith exerts no effort. Faith exerts no, 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 there's no action. It's just dependence on the work of another. So, historically, the fact that Jesus has been raised for our justification Is the big separator? Are you going to go for a religion based upon the works of another? Are you going to go for a religion based upon your works and maybe the works of another a little bit? And the difference is the difference between biblical Christianity and every other religion. Resurrection is controversial, it's controversial. It's beautiful for us, if we believe, but if we don't, it's just so devastating. I haven't said it for probably a week, so I'll say it again, <laughs> say it too often, but just think about it in these terms. It's ludicrous to think that somehow you'll get to heaven someday and you'll see Jesus Christ, or you'll see God and you'll say, "We did it." totally and completely asinine. Because he was raised for our justification. And so we worship him because he did it. But that assaults my pride and my self-righteousness. That's why Christianity is the great humbler. Okay, let's move on to 5 and 6, and then we'll get things wrapped up. Number 5, what is the significance for the believer? What is the significance for the believer? Because do notice, it does say in Romans 4.25, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Please remember to keep things in context. From chapter one, we learned he's talking to people who are believers. Chapter three, he's clear it's not by faith. Chapter four, by faith. Chapter five, by faith. He's not talking about universal justification. Anyone who's ever been born, Jesus has been raised for their justification. When he says our, he's talking about believers, those who are trusting in Christ. And I want to give you one word to answer the question, therefore What is the significance for the believer? It's my favorite part of the whole sermon. The word is rest. The word is rest. We're going to have to step outside of Romans just momentarily. I'll just quote the verse. But by the way, if you have been justified, which is what Romans is teaching, the implication is you have rest because you're not trying to self-justify yourself, self-righteousness. But I love the way Hebrews puts it. Hebrews 4.3 says, For we who have believed enter that rest. I love it. I I so love the word. I've been studying Hebrews lately, so I can't get out of my my DNA, so to speak. But it's just a great, 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 great word to summarize what the implications are for you if you're a believer. Rest. Who doesn't like rest by way of illustration? (sighs) Ah. You know, when you're done doing whatever it is you're doing today and you get a chance to go sit on the sofa or whatever, or whenever that happens, or you lay your head on the pillow, you know, just take a good one in and go, ah, man, this is good. We love rest. Work hard, sports, training, life, sickness, kids, health issues, all of this stuff that we go through. If I could just have a vacation. And you go, "Ah, man, it's just good to get away. Rest. Well, the religious treadmill is going. And now all of a sudden somebody gives me another law, another law. Got to do this, got to do that, got to do this, got to do that. Oh, the burden is huge. And the legitimate burden of keeping God's law perfectly having not kept it perfectly. Having believed in Christ, you have rest because he was raised for our justification. And you just go, (sighs) no more dirty, rotten, stinking treadmill. Because that's what religion is, unless you're talking about this religion get me off of that thing. I'm resting in Christ. I'm, I'm depending in Christ and He is my rest. Believers have entered into the rest. We're going to celebrate communion in a little while and we'll do what Jesus says with bread and with wine because He says, do this in remembrance of me, His perfect justifying work. In other words, do this to remember that in me there is perfect what? rest we forget do this in remembrance of me remember we rest in Jesus how about this if you don't remember anything else today leave today with the goal of remembering the rest you have in Christ you are going to leave today and you're going to live an imperfect life this isn't license to go and act irresponsibly. We'd go to Romans 6 for that. But the fact of the matter is, even if you're justified before the eyes of God and you're standing justified in Christ, you are going to blow it who knows how many times today. And if you don't think you blow it today, you're lying to yourself. You will not love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself today. I promise you. But if you've believed in Christ for your righteousness you have entered into rest remember the rest that is yours in Christ and just take it in and go (sighs) it's good it's great I like the psalmist who says in a different context quoting God and he says, Cease striving and know that I am God. Well, for our purposes, let's think of it in these redemptive terms. Cease striving and know that I am the God who justifies by faith in Christ. Given up already, trust. Because He was raised for our justification. There's nothing more restful than justification. I realize sometimes people might think, well, just give me something I can really relate to, Pastor. Don't tell me about justification. You can see I have no hair. I pull it out. (laughs) You know what you can really relate to? Is is an understanding of justification. Because if you understand that you stand before God, a sinner, having been declared righteous based upon the righteousness of Christ, you have rest. And I just gave you what you can't get on any vacation. Let's remember that. And when you contemplate scars in hands of the resurrected Jesus, you contemplate the fact that you are resting because he didn't. And number six, finally, final question would be, What is the significance for the unbeliever? What is the significance for the unbeliever? Raised for our justification. Well, that's talking about the believer, so he's not raised for your justification. If you're not a believer, if you've not trusted in Christ, you're not trusting in Christ, and if you don't have justification, you have to face the righteousness of God as an unrighteous person. And so for God to give you what you deserve or for God to give you what's fair is not a good thing. So there's a text for you that gives you hope. And it's Acts 17. So if you want to turn to Acts 17 whether you're a believer or not a believer, whether you're trusting in Christ or not trusting in Christ, this is a great passage that is meant for you to give you hope and to explain this a little bit. Not a traditional Easter text, but it talks about the resurrection and it's designed to give you hope if you've never trusted in Christ. So I love this text. Acts 17, verse 30 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked. Obviously, the patience of God, long-suffering of God. But now, He commands all people everywhere to repent. Let's stop there for a moment. All men everywhere, so it's a universal thing, command from God, repent. The word repent, at its very basic, basic level, means to change your mind. It literally means that. So this is a call for you to change your mind about who Jesus is. If you're not a believer, you're not believing in him as your atoning sacrifice, as your righteousness for your justification. You know what? You need to change your mind about who Jesus is so that you can be justified. And so I will echo those words because these are words of hope. Repent. It's a command from God Almighty. Repent. It shows His grace. It shows His mercy. Change your mind about who Jesus is. Trust in Him. It's not saying clean up your life because then it wouldn't be by faith anymore. It would be by works. Repent means to change your mind. Do a mental 180. Stop trusting in self and start trusting in Christ. Change your mind about who Jesus is. But let's keep reading. It's important that you know that repentance is really, really important because verse 31 says, He, God, has fixed a day on which He will judge the world In righteousness, in fairness, in justice. Giving people what they deserve is the idea. By a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all. Remember he was talking about the all before everyone everywhere. To all by raising him from the dead. Repent. Because God has given you assurance. (laughs) not of justification but of condemnation of a day coming when he'll give you what you deserve repent resurrection proves something that you might not want it to prove he's coming again he's coming to judge those who are not believing in him those who haven't repented let's keep reading 32, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, some others, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. Maybe if that were happening today, maybe it would be, and they went on talking about Ishtar, rabbits and eggs. You see, if you're not believing in Jesus for your justification, you really, really need this to be about rabbits and eggs. You you, you need Easter to be about Eshtar, fertility gods and goddesses. You really need this day to be about something other than the bodily resurrection of Jesus. In fact... If he rose from the dead, it gives believers assurance that they've been justified. It gives believers assurance that they'll be condemned and get what they deserve. Please think about it. You so need it to be about something other than the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Why do people create these shows and rehash the same theories that have already been debunked and they're old and they say they're new? Ad finitum ad nauseum up to here. Because they need it to be about something other than the bodily resurrection of Jesus. The stakes couldn't be higher because the bodily resurrection of Jesus is designed to give assurance. assurance of condemnation assurance that there will in fact be hell to pay you so want it to be about rabbits you so want it to be about happy Ishtar you perhaps even so want it to be about convoluting the two if it can just be a Jesus other than the Jesus of the Bible And this isn't mean-spirited of the Apostle Paul. He's saying, God has been patient. God has been long-suffering. And He's announcing, declaring to everyone everywhere that they should repent. This is is a gracious gesture. What would be ungracious and unkind is to say, God is not patient. He hasn't been long-suffering. And you know what? There will be no repenting. Trust in Christ. All of this calls for something by us as believers. And what it calls for is it calls for worship. By the way, it calls for worship by unbelievers through repentance. It calls for worship. And as we transition and we do eat the bread and we do drink the wine in remembrance of the rest that we have in Christ, I've got one more awesome word picture for you. We're going to take a glimpse into heaven. And you don't have to buy a bestseller to figure out what it looks like. A real glimpse into heaven. And in Revelation chapter 5, they're worshiping him. How about this? Because he was slain, Revelation 5 9. But the slain one, it says in Revelation 5 6, is a lamb who is standing. It's awesome. He's the slain lamb, but in Revelation 5, he's the lamb who is standing because he's not dead. He's not slain anymore because he was raised for our justification. It's magnificent. And therefore, in Revelation 5, like no other place I know in the Bible, there is full throttle, unhindered, unmixed worship. The Lamb who was slain, who now stands in victory, as we sang today. Isn't it good? It's so good. It is worship. Fueling, worship inducing. We praise him because he indeed was raised for our justification and he stands to be worshiped. It just doesn't get any better than that. It just doesn't. So we have rest. I'm going to pray, and we're gonna we're gonna eat together, we're gonna drink together in remembrance of the rest that we have in Christ. Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, and we're so grateful that. He volunteered for the task that He gave Himself up for us. And we're grateful for for the Spirit of God who opens our eyes to understand these things. We're grateful for the Spirit of God who applies the work of the Son on our behalf, who gives us new life because of the gospel in Christ. And we are grateful today for Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain, who stands because He's been raised from the dead for us, on our behalf, for our justification. And so now, Lord, please minister to us. Serve us well as we eat and as we drink, as Jesus himself said to do, in remembrance of him until he comes again. And so have this be a rich and great time where we're not reminded of our old sins or even of our new sins where we are reminded of the perfect work of Jesus in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And may this time of worship likewise be significant and profound as we further worship the risen lamb. In whose name we pray, amen.